Uh, a while back, there was a video that was being shared on Facebook. It seemed like every single day. It was a, a religious um, festival that was taking place, I think, in, in Thailand. And right in the middle of the screen, there's this big old pile of, of burning hot coals. Now, maybe you saw it. Uh, what this was was a part of this, this sort of this mental strength. How strong am I? am I? How much faith do I have in the people or in my gods that, that I follow? And so you see these first two guys, they run right through the coals, no problem at all. Well, the third guy takes off. He's about three steps away from the coals. And I don't know if like an ant reached up and tripped him or what, but he just lost his footing. His feet never touched the coals, but man, his body did. He just went smash right into those burning coals. Two guys jumped in real quick and they pulled him out of the coals. And you could see that his clothing was a little bit redder than it was before he got there. But, uh, but I'm watching this and I'm thinking, man, that's got to hurt. But then I'm thinking, dude, those are hot coals. You don't have to run through those, right? They're hot. They're burning. You don't have to do this. It's kind of the same thing we do with our kids, don't we? What's one of the first lessons we teach them? Do not touch the stove because it is hot. Yep, it's hot. It will burn you. And inevitably, what does a kid do? They touch the stove. What do they learn real quickly? It's hot and it will burn you. You know, we think about certain aspects of life when it comes to things that deal with fire. We know those things will burn us. But when it comes to God, to the church, to Christians, we really never expect to be burned by these groups. And yet, many of us in this room have experienced that. And maybe you're in this room this morning and, and you're like, no, I, I'm in the midst of that right now. And so th if this is you, if you've experienced this before, over the next three weeks, this series is going to focus on trying to heal those wounds that you have. Now, you may, may be asking yourself, this seems like a, a strange series to do, but think about this for a moment. 92% of the people who live in America say that at one point in time, they were heavily involved with church now what that means is that you spend at least three hours a week every single week for a minimum of six weeks in church and and my guess is that for many of us that's sort of our childhood right maybe even our, our teenage years and what do we hear in church all the time God saves you Jesus loves you and you hear this constantly and yet something happens as we get older we get to this place where we walk away from our faith. We walk away from God. We walk away from the church. We, we walk away from those relationships that we have with other Christians. Something happens. Something takes place in our life to get us to this point of, of walking away. And in fact, every single day, 3,500 people walk away from the church. Every single year, about 10,000 churches close their doors. I think the reason is pretty simple. We feel burned. We feel burned by those relationships that we've had, by the experiences that we've had, through the conversations that have taken place, through those unanswered prayers. And so what do we do instead of trying to deal with this faith question? We walk away. And so I, again, as we go through the next few weeks, my prayer is that you will have those wounds that maybe you have in your life, that they, they will be finally healed. 
Today, as we begin the series, we're going to look at that first one there, I was burned by God. And I know you may hear that and think, well, hold up a second, that's not the God I believe, and that's not the God I know. But I will tell you that many people have experienced that in their life. And I think as we talk over the next few moments, you're going to find that, oh yeah, I, I had that happen to me before. And again, I'm hoping that as we talk about being burned by God and what that experience may be like for us, that God will begin to do some healing in our lives and our souls. To get us talking about this this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture out of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 is where we will be this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that. If we can turn the house lights up a little bit um, so people can read if they've got their Bible. There are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, You're welcome to grab one of those. Take that with you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or somebody you know needs one, take that. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can follow along on your Journey Church app or also your program. This is, a, this is an event in Jesus' life that's a little obscure. We don't really talk about it a whole lot, but man, it, it fits so well with what we were talking about this morning and feeling burned by God. Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 1, here's what it says. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison... Heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Let me give you a little backstory here. John and Jesus are cousins. John's about six months older than Jesus, and he has one purpose here on this world, one purpose here on earth. His, his purpose was to set the stage for Jesus. Basically, he's, he's rolling out this red carpet for Jesus. And in fact, we find that Jesus baptizes John. But, but as we look at the beginning of the story here, what do we find? John's in prison. Now, how do he get there? Well, John, John's one of those people who like to just kind of tell things like they are, right? He doesn't hold back. The king of Israel at the time had gone to visit his brother. While he was there visiting his brother, he had an affair with his brother's wife, his sister-in-law. He goes back to Jerusalem. He kicks his wife out of the palace. He brings his sister-in-law to Jerusalem with him. He marries her. John goes to him like, dude, you you can't do this. This is illegal. Not only illegal, but this is spiritually wrong. This is against the will of God. And king looks at John. He's like, John, thanks for that. You're going to prison. So he puts John in prison. And we find John in prison right here at the beginning of our story. But John asks a question of Jesus, doesn't he? Look, look what he asks here. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Scholars say there are probably three reasons John asked this question. The first one is, he, he really wants to know, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are, are you the person that has been prophesied in the Old Testament that we've read about, that we know about? Are you that person? Because I want to know. Because if you are, then prove it. What are you doing to prove that this is true? What are the things that are happening in your life that you're making happen because you are that Messiah? Now, this third part's a little bit strange, now hold, so, so stay with me because you'll understand a little bit better here in a moment. Some scholars say he's also asking, because if you're the Messiah and you're doing all these incredible things, when you get me out of this joint? I, I don't want to be in prison anymore. Can, can you get me out? Have you ever had a speeding ticket before? It's a rhetorical question. Don't raise your hand. Probably a few of you have in here have had a speeding ticket or multiple speeding tickets. My wife, Kara, and I, we like to have a competition to see who can have the least amount of speeding tickets in our driving career. And um, so I'm going to share that with you right now at this moment, okay? So I'll go first. Um, I, I have had zero speeding tickets in my whole life. 
Now, that does not mean I have not gone over the speed limit, all right? <laughs> Sometimes my kids are in the back seat like, Dad, the speed limit's this, and you're doing this. I'm like, shut up, get on your phone, stop paying attention. We got to get somewhere quickly. I just haven't been caught, okay? My wife, Kara, she has one speeding ticket. She was caught doing 27 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. <laughs> so, um, so here's the lesson from that. We used to live out in Haymarket. If you go to Haymarket, there's like one square more mile of town there. Do not go over the speed limit. That's where they busted her. Here's the excuse she gives. She was pregnant with Jake at the time. Our two girls were in the back seat. It was after church. She was really hungry. The kids were really hungry. She had just purchased Girl Scout cookies, Thin Mints. She still remembers this. She's like, I'm trying to open the Thin Mints to feed everybody, to eat myself. And then I got busted in that moment. She thought, I'm pregnant. The guy's going to give me a break. I've got Thin Mint crumbs all over me. Nope, he still gives me a ticket. Anyway, that's the competition that, that we have in our house. And thankfully, I'm still winning, which probably means this week I will get a speeding ticket. And I will share that with you <laughs> next week if, if that is the case. When you're driving and you see... When you see those blue lights in your rearview mirror, what do you do? Here's the first thing you do. No, it's worse than that. You curse, right? Let's be honest, people. We're in church. You say beep. And some of you say beep, 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 right? What's the second thing you do after you curse? You pray. Those two things don't even go together, do they? You curse, and then you pray. You're like, beep, and you're like, oh, God, please. And you're not asking for repentance of what you just said. You're like, God, please. I'll go to church every week for the rest of the year. My mom's going to get mad at me. My insurance premiums are going to go up. Oh, God, please just get me through this one thing. Please, please, please. And so we curse, and then we pray. The policeman does their job. We still get the ticket. Guess what? Who are we mad at? Are you mad at yourself? You're never mad at yourself, even though you broke the law. Are you mad at the policeman? Probably a little bit, but still at the same time, like, well, I was doing 15 miles over. I mean, I should get a ticket. How many times do you get mad at God? Because you just said, God, get me out of this. Please don't let this happen. And now all of a sudden, it's God's fault that you and I have gotten this ticket. God, what have you gotten me into? I think this is how we believe and expect God to work in our lives. We, we think if I follow God and I do all the great things and I do all the nice things and I go to church and I give and, and I pack some meals for some kids and I help a little old lady across the, the street, if I do these things, then when tough times come, when suffering comes, when hurt comes, when I need God's help, all I got to do is pray. And you know what? God's going to help me. Now, that's not the reality, is it? That's not the way that God always works so so what happens when we live by that philosophy what happens when we live by that theology and god doesn't jump in when we expect it what happens when that engagement finger still has no ring on it what happens when that baby crib is still empty what happens when you're at dinner at thanksgiving and, and your mom's seat is still empty because she passed away at a young age what happens when dad has left the family because he's run off with someone else? What happens when those applications haven't been answered? What, what happens when those, those bills begin to pile up and we're sitting here, we're thinking, but God, I'm doing all the right things. 
I've got this checklist and I'm checking all the boxes and I'm praying to you and I'm asking you for help. And God, where are you? See, I think when we think about it that way, it's easy for us to go back and say, you know what? I feel burned by God. I have this idea, I have this expectation of what life is going to be like and, and how this is supposed to work. And it's not working the way that I wanted it to work or I expect it to work, or I desire for it to work. We walk away from God. Here's John in our story. He's a man of the wilderness. He likes the outdoors. He, he likes the air. I'm assuming he's one of those guys who just sleeps outside all the time. And here's Jesus in this moment. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, I, I'm the dude. But John's like, but dude, I need you to come get me out of here. I need some help. I've rolled out the red carpet. Where are you? When are you coming to help me out? Because look how Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. John's disciples have come and asked this question. So they're taking this information back to John in prison. So the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is a great answer from Jesus, right? Here's the deal. In Luke chapter 4, 16 through 19, we find that Jesus actually says these same words again. In Isaiah chapter 61, we find that these words and the ones from Luke, they're from a prophecy there in Isaiah. There's something interesting about the response that Jesus has. He leaves out one phrase. Now, in Luke, he says the phrase, but here in this moment of John, he leaves this one phrase out. The phrase he leaves out is, I will set the prisoners free. Where's John? He's in prison. What's he asking? Are you the Messiah? If you are, prove it to me. And if you prove it to me, get me out of here. And so when he says these things, and Jesus says, I'm doing good things, John. Doing miracles. Making things happen. And John knows the prophecy because that's the reason he's here, right? He knows these prophecies. He's like, here's what Jesus is going to be like. This is the, the Messiah, what the Messiah is going to do. And yet Jesus leaves out these key words, I will set the prisoners free. I'm sure John in that moment's like, well, man, Jesus, I think you left out that one thing. That was the one thing I was hoping that you were going to say. Jesus, or John was expecting Jesus to just jump in and take care of things. Again, I'm pretty sure that's the way we think about Jesus. We think about God. Sometimes I think we kind of, we think life's going to be like a beer commercial, right? Think about a beer commercial for a moment. It always kind of shows that life is perfect if you drink our beer. You're going to have the the perfect relationships. You're going to be on the perfect vacation. Your home's going to be perfect. Your clothes are going to be perfect. Your your life is going to be perfect. You're going to have the perfect body. You're You're going to have hair. Do you ever see a bald guy on a beer commercial? No. Why? Because perfect people aren't bald. Only the good looking people are bald. That's what we expect, right? We expect this perfect life. That's what we think. If I do everything that Jesus calls me and asks me to do, my life will be perfect. And yet we find that that's not the way things happen. We look and we experience these dry spots, these hard times, suffering. And God doesn't jump in, 
doesn't answer our prayers. And so we feel burned by God, and we begin to pull away. And I think that's exactly what John's feeling in this moment. He's feeling like, oh, Jesus, please get me out of here. But look at verse 11. Here's what Jesus says to John. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does Jesus say about John? He says he's the best of the best. He's an incredible human being. He's an incredible man. And so what happens to this person who is, who's doing exactly what God has created him to do? What happens to him? Jesus leaves him in prison. He didn't get to say goodbye to probably family and friends, a few of his disciples. He didn't get to say bye to Jesus. And not too long after this, he's executed, he's beheaded. Jesus just said, you're the best of the best. But Jesus doesn't come in and save John. Someone that in our, our world, in, in our mindset, we would think, man, Jesus needs to jump in and take care of this guy. Jesus was, or John was the best of the best, and Jesus didn't save him. I think for you and I, we struggle with this because we look at John and we think, he's a good guy. And yet God didn't do anything. But why? Well, why do we struggle with this, though? Why is this hard for us to kind of understand and comprehend that, that the way that we live our life, no matter how good we are, no matter how, how great of a Christ follower we are, that there are times in life for Jesus and God, they don't jump in and do what we expect. I think there's two Christian myths that I'm going to share with you this morning that I hope will help us understand this because I, I'm afraid this is our mentality many times. The first Christian myth is this. If you are good enough, God will take care of you. If you are good enough, God will take care of you. Some of you in here, you're helicopter parents, right? You, you know what that is? Like you're your kid. You, you see, you get this foreshadowing of you know exactly what's going to happen to your kid. And so what do you do? You kind of hover like a helicopter. You jump in and save them right before you know, they, they fall to their skin knee, which would probably be a good thing for them to kind of skin their knee to kind of learn the things that they should and shouldn't do and get some infection in there so they can build up those antibodies, but we don't want them to do that. Um, but anyway, that's kind of the way we act as parents many times, right? We're, we're helicopter parents. I think we kind of want Jesus to be the exact same way, the helicopter Jesus. And so he, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And so before it happens to us, he's kind of flying around and then he's like, oh gosh, that person's in trouble. And he swoops in kind of like Superman, grabs that person, puts him up like, Man, you're a really strong follower of Jesus. You're, you're a good Christian person. You're doing all the great things, so I'm going to save you. I'm going to help you. He's like, I got to go. Somebody else over here, they're, they're in trouble. And, and Jesus swoops in and helps them and says the exact same thing. You're doing all the right things. Keep it up. Great job. I'm here to take care of you. That's an Americanized Jesus. That, that's a Jesus that we have played up in our minds. Because that Jesus is answering all of our questions, is taking care of all our needs, is helping us every time we need it. Why? Because that's what we want. That's what we expect. That is our desire. But what happens when those tough times come around? What's our response in those moments? I think we feel burned by God. And in fact, not only do we feel burned by God, but we complain about what God didn't do. God, why didn't you heal that cancer? God, why didn't you take care of that sickness? God, why didn't you save our marriage? God, well, why didn't you help me with that job? Because we're struggling and we're hurting and we're in pain. And we pray. And again, we're trying to do all the right things. And so we, 
We expect God to come in and God and our, the way we feel about it, the way that we see things, God hasn't done that. And so we begin to complain about what God didn't do. And when God doesn't do what we expect God to do, we turn from God. But look back at verse 6 here in Matthew 11. I'm reading this in the New Living Translation because I love the way it puts it. Jesus says, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. What's Jesus' encouragement to John? He's like, John, stay strong. Hey, John, stay, stay focused on me. And if you do these things, here's the deal, John, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. God blesses those who don't turn away because God didn't do what they expected God to do. See, we struggle with this myth. We think if we are good enough, God will take care of you. And God says, look, in those tough times, stay focused on me. You'll experience those blessings. Here's the second Christian myth we struggle with. I've heard this one a gazillion times. God will never give you more than you can handle. Here's the deal. I know some of you in here have used that phrase before too. And you think it's in the Bible. Can I tell you it's not in the Bible? In fact, it's not really even biblical. So you're, you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> hold up, dude. I've read it before. Here's what you've read. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Temptation and suffering are two very different things. Temptation says you got a choice. You can choose right or you can choose wrong. But there's a choice there that we can make. Paul says, God says, hey, here's the deal. There's no temptation you can't move beyond. That you can always make the right decision. Now, do we? No. But temptation is different than suffering. Suffering is, is there and it has no choice. Now, granted, sometimes the suffering we experience comes from the temptations that we've given into. I get that. But, but with suffering, there's no choice. And yet, here's what we'll say. God will never give you more than you can handle. I know in the, the life that I've lived, and I know with my wife, Kara, and I, there's been a, two times where we've looked at each other and we're like, we can't handle this. I don't know what we're going to do. And I know because talking to some of you, you've experienced the exact same thing. And maybe you're in the midst of it right now and you're thinking to yourself, you're saying to yourself, I, I can't handle this. But hold up a second. There, there, there's this thing people keep telling me, God will never give me more than I can handle. Why can't I handle this? Because you can't. It's different. It's suffering in our lives. And so here's what we ask. We ask the question, why God? Well, why God? I thought you were going to help me handle this. I can't handle this. Why are you, why are you still allowing that cancer to be there? Uh, why, God, are, are they still sick? Why, God, are my relationships broken? Why, God? And you can put in whatever you want to fill in the blank there because all of us have had those moments, right? Why, God? As a pastor, I get asked that question quite a bit. You know, why, Chad? Why, why did God allow this to happen? I'm going to give you the answer I give everybody every single time. I don't know. I don't know. I have zero answers for you. All I can tell you is that's life. That's what happens when the sin's a part of the world. That's, that's the only thing I can tell you because I don't know why God heals this person and not your family member. I don't know why this marriage is back together and yours is still broken. I don't know why. Here's what the Bible doesn't do. It doesn't satisfy us emotionally. Honestly, think about that. 
The Bible does not satisfy us emotionally when it comes to this question of suffering and tough times and why, God, it doesn't. It answers other questions for us, but not for us emotionally. And so we have to begin to change our thinking. Here's what people, this is what this phrase means when we say God will never give us more than we can handle. What that means is that God's causing the suffering. It's far from the truth. And so we have to change our thinking. God's not causing the suffering. God's actually in the midst of the suffering. God is there with us in those moments in life. God fills our suffering. In John chapter 11, we have the story of Lazarus. Right before Jesus brings him back to life, in John eleven thirty five, 35, we read Jesus wept. Now, why would Jesus weep in that moment? Well, a couple of reasons. First, he looks around and he sees this family that he loves and he sees their pain. He sees the people that are friends of Lazarus and they're there and they're in pain. They're hurting. And this is Jesus, one of his closest friends. And so there's this, this physical, emotional pain that is there. And so he weeps because of that. But if you actually read around that a little bit, here's what else you find. Jesus weeps because the people there have, have very little faith. They lack faith. The faith isn't strong in God. And, and here's this tough time in life, and yet their faith is, is very limited. I, I think they're probably asking this question, why God? So Jesus weeps because of, of these two things that are happening, the physical pain and the spiritual pain. And, and see, for us, we're kind of programmed to believe that that God causes suffering. I think that comes from maybe um, weather, uh, insurance companies. You know, we talked about acts of God, right? Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. God causes this to happen. The only connection I can make there is Roman and Greek mythology. But, but for us, God doesn't cause suffering. The truth is God is in the suffering with us. God fills the suffering that we feel. Just like we see here with Jesus in the story of Lazarus. Philip Yancey, the author, wrote, In Jesus we see the face of God, and that face is streaked with tears. When our lives are tough and they're hard and they don't make sense, they're confusing, we ask that question, why God? And the truth is, it probably is more than you can handle. But, but, but Jesus says, it is more than you can handle, but I'm here. I'm here. And, and God will bless you if you stay focused on me, if you stay strong in me. I'm here. I weep with you. I hurt with you. I feel the same pain that you do. I didn't cause this. I'm, I'm here to help you through this difficult time. And for you and I, we have to choose in this moment because we, we can feel burned by God. We can feel burned by God or we can change our thinking. In John chapter 6, we find the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Incredible, incredible miracle. Jesus gets away and he's looking for a little bit of breathing room the next day, right? And so he takes off, but what do the crowds do? They follow Jesus. And they find Jesus and Jesus sees them. And he has this interaction with them that's a little strange. Because the day before, he just preached to them for a long time and then he fed them. He tells them, he's like, hey, why are you guys here? Oh, I know why you're here. You want me to feed you again. You want me to give you food again. Guess what? I'm not doing that. And so he refuses to feed them. And the story says many of them walked away 
They were sad. Jesus looks at his disciples and he's like, hey guys, they left. What about you guys? And Peter looks at Jesus and only the way that Peter can, he says, Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Those followers of Christ, they didn't leave because of what Jesus didn't do, did they? No, they said, where else were we going to go? You're the only answer that we have to our life and what we're experiencing and what's happening. It's more than this physical food. There's a spiritual connection here. We're going to stay strong, Jesus, because you have the words of eternal life. They found their answer. They found their hope. They, They found peace in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel burned by God. My question to you is, where else will you go? Here's what some of us will do. We'll say, well, I feel burned by God, so I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to read a lot of self-help books, and, and I, I'm going to you know, subscribe to this podcast about helping myself and changing my mindset. And you go to that direction because you think that's the only answer for you. How's that working for you? Probably not very good. For others of us, we'll feel burned by God. We'll feel, feel like there's no connection there. God's not in that. We'll, we'll go to addictions, and we'll start giving in to our temptations and those addictions. Because we think that'll take care of that, that hole that we have and that question of why God. Others of us will spend the, the spiritual roulette wheel. We'll just try anything. And, and we'll go to this faith and this religion and over here to this place. And sometimes we'll just put them all together and make our own little religion up. Why? Because we're trying to answer that question, why God? But here's my, here's my question to you. Where else will you go? Because you know if you've been there before, their answers aren't there. You're not finding them. You've tried. I've tried. Guess what? It doesn't work. There's still that hole. There's still that question. Peter's answer here, I think, is so powerful. Where else will you go? And so are you and I willing to choose Jesus? I don't know why God works the way God does. I don't know why God doesn't answer the questions that you and I have the way that God does? I don't know. I have no idea at all. But here's what I do know, based on my life, based on the stories that some of you have shared with me, based on the people that I know that are part of my life outside of this church who are followers of Jesus. What I do know is that at some point in time, you've you got to make that choice. And, and for us, we've gotten to a place of saying, why God? I don't know. But I'm still going to put my trust and my faith in you. Because I don't believe you cause the suffering. I believe you're in the midst of it. I believe you're right there beside me. I believe you're helping me take the next steps forward. Uh, that may mean months and years before you get to a place of fully understanding the power of God. But like Jesus tells John, stay strong. Stay focused on me, and if you do that, you will be blessed. John's blessings didn't come on earth, did they? And he had his head chopped off. Now, they were eternal blessings. And for us, that may be the point that we get to. But I would rather do that and focus on that and try to answer that question myself. I would rather do that than going through life being angry and mad at God. And and maybe you're here this morning, and that's where you are. But if we look at the story of John, John says, or Jesus says, John, you're the best of the best. You're an amazing man, but I'm going to let you go through the suffering. And in that, John was blessed. 
Can you and I stand firm when that pain is there? Can we stand firm when that suffering is a part of who we are? Can we be strong when we're asking that question, why God? Is it wrong to ask that question? No, not at all. But we have to be willing to walk down that path, to take that journey in such a way that we can find those blessings that Jesus talks about here with John. And I believe blessings that come our way when we stand firm and focused on Christ. What's your next step out of this this morning? i got three things I want to share with you quickly. First one, counseling. Man, as long as I am the preacher here, the pastor here, I will always push counseling. Um, it, it is a healthy way to deal with the pain and the suffering and the hurt that's there. People will come to me and say, hey, Chad, will you counsel me? And some of you have done that. And you'll know what my answer is. I'll meet with you one time, and then I'm done. I'm not a trained counselor at all. That is not what I'm gifted at either, okay? Um, and so I'll say, let's meet. And then if you need to take a second step, I'm going to get you connected. Safe Harbor Christian Counseling uh, is an organization that we work very closely with here at The Journey. They use our space frequently. I think I've shared this in the past. I think they've told me a little over 1,500 people have used Safe Harbor here from The Journey, which is amazing and incredible and great. It doesn't mean we're weak. All right? Please understand that. It means you're healthy because you're getting the help that you need. Uh, Alyssa at thejourneynova.org. I told her this morning she's going to get a lot of emails potentially. But you can contact Alyssa. She will get you connected with Safe Harbor. Uh, man, we want to get you in there. We have a little bit of a discount because you're a part of the journey. Um, so let us know. Don't, don't hold back. Don't hold on to this, this pain and hurt. Let it go. And let somebody help you through that. Counseling is number one here. Second thing is baptism. Maybe you're in this place you're asking why God. Maybe you're feeling this pain and this hurt and you're, you're feeling burned by God. Here's what I would tell you. Maybe your next step is baptism. And maybe you just got to say, hey, I'm all in. I got I to gotta give my life to Christ. And this is your moment to do that. And so here's what we'd ask. If you want to be baptized, write down on that connection card. Put your name and information. And uh, there's a couple of places there you can mark. Hey, I want information on baptism. We'll just call you. We'll talk to you. We'll have a conversation. And let's see if that's your next step in your spiritual journey. That you're looking for Jesus to say, hey, I've got those blessings for you. This is the step you need to take. And then lastly, maybe it's just prayer. For, for you, it may just be stopping a day during our communion time, just saying, okay, God, I'm struggling. I feel burned by you, but I'm willing to give this a shot. Lead me ahead. Lead me forward. And in fact, as we finish up our time this morning, we, we've actually moved our prayer team back in this corner here. I know sometimes it's hard to come up front to pray because it seems like people are watching. They're not. They're praying with you, honestly. But we'd love to invite you. Go to that back corner. Our prayer team's going to be back there. Let them pray for you. Tell them, this is what's going on. Maybe write it on your connection card. This is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And let them pray for you today. And let that be the beginning of the healing for you. Life is tough. There's pain. There's hurt. There's suffering. There's an amazing God that loves you and I and wants to bless us through that pain and hurt, if we can stay focused on Jesus. And I challenge you to do that as we leave this place today.